Good morning, and if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians. And we're going to read from Galatians chapter 4, verse 12 through to verse 20. So it's Galatians chapter 4, starting to read at verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I have become like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all of your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good, and to do so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you and you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Shall we pray before we come to this passage? Father, we thank you again for this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia or the churches at Galatia. We thank you for the contents of them. We pray that you'll help us to not just understand them, but that we might be able to take these things and apply them to our own lives as you work through us as your people. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this passage of Galatians um this is really an emotional appeal. You see, up to now, the tone of Paul's letter has been one of a father reprimanding his children as he shows his disapproval of what they are doing. In this frame of mind, he's reminded them of who he is, what it is that he has taught them, and most of all, the importance of what they did when they trusted in Jesus. Jesus, the one who by his death has paid the full price for their sin so that they can stand before God as forgiven sinners who are no longer condemned, but who are accepted by God as sons and heirs with an inheritance that they have. They haven't earned it. They don't even deserve it. But by the grace of God, it's theirs for eternity. Now, Paul will show them the love that he has for them. And this is, as I said, an emotional request from the heart. As he says, look at me, look, this is me, Paul, you know me. And I know you. And it hurts me to see you breaking that friendship that we have. As we stop for a moment, let's just go back and we'll spend this short moment thinking about what happened on Paul's first missionary journey. Now, we can read all about this in Acts 14. I just want to read a few verses from that as we look at them, because this was in the Galatian city of Lystra, when the people thought that Paul and Barnabas were two of their gods, Zeus and Hermes, come to visit them. And the people's first reaction was to want to worship them. But in Acts 14, verse 15, we read this, and this is Paul speaking. He said, friends, why are you doing this? 
We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. You see, on that occasion, some of the people uh, reading this Galatian letter, they might have been there when this happened. As Paul and Barnabas were showing the people that they were just ordinary men like them, and that the important thing was not who they were, but who Jesus is. So we come back to those people this morning, and they're reading this letter now, this letter that Paul has sent them. And as we come to verse 12, we hear the words of Paul, words from his heart. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. I plead with you. This is more than just a request. This is an emotional appeal. It's as if Paul were on his knees, both fists clenched with tears in his eyes as he is writing this letter. And he's saying, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. And when he said to be like me, he wasn't asking them to copy him. He was asking them to remember what they have in common. We are one in Christ. We are united. And he's saying, please don't jeopardize that friendship. You see, when Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles, he put his Jewishness to one side. He came as a man, as an ordinary man, an ordinary man with a message that was relevant to everyone that he was speaking to, these people in Galatia, these Gentiles. They, what Paul was doing here, he was pointing them to Jesus. So if we come to verse 13 and 14 of this letter, we could head this, Paul saying, remember when we first met. He says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me like, like me, treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. We don't know the full circumstances of what Paul is talking about here, but the first readers of this letter would know. But what we do know is that Paul was ill. In those days, medicine help was limited. Some illnesses were, would mean that the sick person might become reliant on others. And in some cases, the nature of the illness could render the person as being repulsive to others. And we see that these Gentiles, when they first met Paul, they helped him, they welcomed him, and they listened to what he had to say, and they accepted his message. And Paul, the man, at that point when he first brought the gospel to them, he was weak, he, he was helpless. It sounds as if he was unattractive. But his message was not about him. The message was about Jesus. And for them, it was as if Jesus was speaking to them through the words that Paul was using. And we see here, this wasn't 
a man in a, in, a, in a snazzy suit with a dynamic personality and a silver tongue, encouraging people to follow him. No, this was Paul's message, and Paul's message was, come to Jesus and follow him. And when they did this, they loved Paul. They welcomed him as a brother. In this letter, and this is the reason for the letter, Paul is writing it because things have changed. So we come to verse 15 and 16. Where then is your blessing of me? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? As I mentioned earlier, we don't know the full details here. We don't know what Paul's illness was. Did he have something to do with his eyesight? Or if the phrase that they would have torn out their eyes and given them to him, was that a metaphor meaning that they would have done anything for him? Just as we use the metaphor where we might say, you know, I'd give my right arm to be able to do that. We don't literally mean give our right arm. We mean we would do anything in order to do what it is that we desire to do. But in contrast to this, if they were to follow the teaching that is being brought into the church by these Judaizers, they would be making Paul their enemy. So the letter goes on, verse 17 and 18, and this is Paul's desire. His desire is that they should follow Jesus. He says, those people are zealous to win you over but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Remember that, so that you may have zeal for them. Then Paul goes on. It's fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. You know, Paul had seen the zeal for the gospel when he first preached it to them. And when he left them in Galatia, the churches were beginning to grow. The Holy Spirit was there. Things were happening. Lives were changing. And what he had seen was good. To take this comment, not just when I am with you, it is a challenge to us, really. It's a, a little bit like us in our day, and you've heard this before. You know, remember, we are a Christian for seven days in the week, not just on a Sunday, not just when it suits us, not just when we want to show other people that we are believers. But Paul then goes on in his letter, and verse 19 to 20, he, he's telling about the Judaizers' desire and it is that Christian believers would follow them. And he puts it in clear language. He says in verse 19 and 20, My dear children, of whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. You see, Paul is literally agonizing over this situation. He's like a father unable to be with a wayward child. He takes no pleasure in the harsh language he's having to use in this letter. He has to use this because he has this real desire to be there, but he can't be 
but he wants to be. He wants to be there so that he can lovingly bring them back into the previous harmonious relationship that they had. But firstly, that relationship that they have with Jesus. You see, these people who are confusing you, this is what Paul is saying. These people who are confusing you by what they are saying, they are filled with a strong desire to woo you away from us by leading you away from Jesus and filling you with the desire to follow them so that you may have zeal for them. You see, they wanted the Christian believers to come away from the truth of the gospel and to direct the affections that they have for Jesus onto them so that they would be glorified instead of Christ's. And Paul's desire was to turn people towards Jesus so that they might be blessed and so that God might be glorified. The desire for these false teachers was to lead believers away from the truth of the gospel by enticing them to follow them and their interpretation of the gospel so that the glory would come to them. You know, when we get look at this passage, don't get me wrong this morning, I'm not against men with nice suits who have dynamic personalities and who are eloquent speakers. I'm not against that. The point is this, if their desire is to encourage people to follow Jesus and if they preach that salvation is found in no other name than Jesus and that it's by the grace of God that we are saved and that all the glory is to God, then I will say amen to that and amen to what they're doing. But sadly, as in Paul's day, there are those who use the good news of Jesus so that they can entice believers, notice that believers, into following them so that they can then claim the glory for themselves. They will benefit personally with this and what they are teaching, as Paul has already said, it's no gospel at all. And we've already used that phrase, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing who come amongst the flock and lead them away for their own purposes. I want us to finish this morning as we just consider this. How did Jesus bring the gospel to us? Well, I want us to read a few verses from Isaiah, and with these verses we'll close. First of all, from Isaiah 52, it's towards the end, 13 and 15. This is what Isaiah said. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so that he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they are not told they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Now, that section of Isaiah, that last part of 52, it actually continues in the first part of verse 53. There's no break here, so we can read on verses 1 through to 3 of verse 53. 
Let's just read the last little bit of 52. And kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for what they were told they will see, what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. But who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You know, this morning, as we've remembered those who have laid down their lives for their brothers, it is absolutely right that we do this. But let me just say, let us not forget the one who laid down his life for a world he loved, a world that hated him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth of the gospel. We do thank you this morning as we come into your presence that we've had the privilege to remember those who have gone before us and laid down their lives in order that we might enjoy the freedom that we have today. But our Father, we ask that through your word you will keep us ever mindful of the one whose name is Jesus, who gave his life that we might live and that we might be forgiven by a holy God and that we might enter as sons and heirs into eternity with him. And our Father, we thank you for this this morning. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.